0: The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
1: You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you.
2: Hear my prayer, O Lord, and listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: If we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin.
2: Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him,
1: For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God.
2: In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus.
1: Hear the words of Jesus Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it.
2: Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father.
1: So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many Sparrows.
0: Please join me in prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word and obey your will. Amen. We've been making our way through Genesis. We turn this morning to Genesis chapter 1, the, or chapter 21, the 8th verse, Genesis 21, verse 8, listen then for the voice of God. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly. Because it concerned his son. But God said this to him, "'Do not be distressed about the boy and your servant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the servant into a nation also, because he is also your offspring.'" Early the next morning, Abraham took food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God, hearing the boy crying and the angel of the Lord, called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am indebted to a meditation by John Buchanan for some of the ideas and flow of this sermon. There's a few lines that are his that I found particularly cumbersome to highlight in the preaching. But here we go. One morning while getting ready for another day of high school, I needed to get into the bathroom to fluff my Greg Brady curly do and brushed my teeth. But my younger brother was in the bathroom and reluctant to open the locked door. So I banged on the door. I yelled. I demanded. I threatened. He yelled back. I yelled louder. As our exchange escalated, I had my face pressed into the crack between the door and the frame. Suddenly the door popped open and my brother's fist popped out, hitting me square in the mouth. There was a split second of stunned silence. My brother's eyes widened in terror. I touched my lip and tasted blood. I was a senior. He was a sophomore. I was going to go to school with a fat, busted lip from my little brother. All of this sunk in as I whispered, Call me Ishmael. And in the name of all who are alienated, oppressed, and pushed aside, in the company of all those who are excluded, locked out, and abused, I rushed towards him, cornered him by the tub, and pummeled him until he cried. All of that is true, except for the Ishmael part. My thanks to Herman Melville. But it was one more chapter in the ancient struggle of brother against brother, fighting for place and wrestling for blessing. One more story of Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, James and John, Isaac and Ishmael. You see, dear friends, we often read the story of Isaac and Ishmael as the narrowing of God's blessing. One brother is included, and the other is excluded. One is blessed, the other is banished. One is the child of divine promise, the other of human machination. So as the story unfolds, we keep our eyes on the favored son, Isaac, while Ishmael fades from view. Scripture traces the line from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses to David to Mary to Jesus to me and to you. And Ishmael is an insignificant tributary to that line. He's outside the covenant, sent to the desert, pushed to the fringes. Ishmael is a sort of a sidebar. But I wonder if Ishmael serves an essential role as another voice that holds tension, balances, wrestles with the main plot. It's a counterpoint in the chorus of scripture. If the story of Isaac is told from the top, Ishmael's story is told from underneath. So maybe this morning we can hear that other story. And maybe in that story, we can hear something new for our story. First, the story. God chose Abraham and promised him land and people. However, years passed and Sarah, his wife, didn't give birth. So Sarah forced Hagar, an Egyptian servant, to sleep with Abraham only to soon despise and abuse Hagar in her pregnancy this caused Hagar to flee but an angel of the lord tracked her down in the desert promised her descendants to numerous numerous to count and announced you are now with child and you will have a son you shall call him Ishmael for the lord heard your misery and hagar The invisible slave girl gave a name to the Lord, saying, You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Ishmael, which means God heard, grew up. At 13, he's included in the covenant of circumcision. At 15, he's joined in this world by his half-brother Isaac. At 17, he's at the feast celebrating the weaning of Isaac, only now he's seen as a threat. Our text has it that Ishmael was mocking Isaac. And what 17-year-old boy doesn't occasionally mock his younger sibling? However, The actual Hebrew word has a variety of meanings, has the same root as Isaac's name, laughter, and is even used in other places to reference a sort of playfulness or caress. But whatever happened, Sarah wanted Ishmael and Hagar gone, and notice that she doesn't even use their names. They become that slave woman and her son say their names. Abraham is distressed, but God tells him not to worry. The boy will still be a great nation because he's Abraham's offspring. And the next morning, Hagar and Ishmael are dropped off in the desert with enough water for a day. And then in a scene as heart-wrenching as any in Scripture, Hagar a single, abused, refugee mother wandering in the desert with her child can bear it no more. She sobs, I cannot watch the boy die. But God heard her again. And an angel said what angels keep saying in Scripture. Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying. So God heard the boy God heard. Lift him up, take him by the hand, I'll make him a great nation. God provides water, Hagar and Ishmael live, and the writer of Genesis notes that God was with the boy as he grew up. Now, Phyllis Tribble, in her book, Texts of Terror, writes that Hagar's story encompasses the experience of all sorts of rejected women. She is, and I quote, the faithful maid exploited, the black woman used by the male and abused by the female of the ruling class, the surrogate mother, the resident alien without legal recourse, the pregnant young woman alone, the expelled wife, the divorced mother with child, the self-effacing female whose own identity shrinks in the service to others. But Hagar, an outsider, a woman of no account, is also the first woman in Scripture to to be visited by a divine messenger. The first person who dares to name God. The first woman to hear an annunciation, the only woman to receive a divine promise of descendants, and the first to weep for her dying child. She casts this eerie foreshadow of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So, dear friends, what if to read the story of Hagar and Ishmael is to be reminded that God is not bound by our vision of exclusion. God turns social spiritual convention on its head. God is not framed by our notion of respectability and orthodoxy. God is not limited by our parameters of grace, but to those who have been excluded, forgotten, banished, Demonized and abandoned, God keeps leaking grace, propping open the back door, and making provision. Now you may know that while Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all lay claim to Abraham as the founding father of faith, Islam sees Ishmael as the ancestor of several prominent Arab tribes and a forefather of the Prophet Muhammad. Therefore, if it helps, be assured that the big story here is Isaac. His is the story of covenant. But the subversive rub of this story is that from the very beginning, The Bible keeps reminding us that God doesn't forget the ones who get pushed to the margins or pushed out of the dominant narrative. From the very beginning, God is committed to the very ones that God's people exclude. It is as if God stands in judgment of the religious tradition that God inspired. In the words of Walter Brueggemann, God has this special commitment to Ishmael. For some inscrutable reason, God is not prepared to yield to his own essential plot. God cares about this outsider whom the tradition wants to abandon. And then centuries later, Jesus reached out to the very people who were being excluded by the customs, traditions, and laws of God's people. Jesus touched the leper, ate with the tax collector, befriended the prostitute, welcomed children, talked to women in broad daylight, healed on the Sabbath, and died with criminals. And he told a story of two brothers, the one who stayed home, and the one who squandered his fortune and ate with the pigs, both welcomed to the banquet table. I think it's really difficult to read Scripture and deny or avoid the radical inclusivity of God's love. You can't claim the tradition without claiming the part that judges the tradition's exclusivity. You can't claim the name of Jesus and ignore his embrace of those that his own religion marginalized. Dear friends, can we be encouraged, even today, that God hears the cries of his children, no matter who they are? Can we be encouraged even today that God remembers those who are abandoned by everybody else? Can we be encouraged even today that God shows up in whatever wilderness we wander and brings water for our deepest thirst and love for our deepest need? And can we be encouraged even today to follow the way of God and the life of Jesus into that subversive story that keeps making provision for those that are cast out. Amen.
2: i mm-hmm.
3: Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for our church and that we can worship together even though we can't actually be together. We pray for those who are in the hospital. Please heal and protect them. Thank you for VBS and the people who helped make it happen. Even though it was very different from what we normally do, it was fun to see friends again and sing with Miss Margie. Social distancing in the... Parking lot reminds us that we are all affected by COVID-19. Please, please, God, help us find a cure. Thank you for the scientists and others who are learning about the virus. We pray for those who are sick and those who are helping hospitals, stores and serving the community. We pray for people who are affected by the virus in other ways. For those who are lonely or lost their jobs, help us find ways to help each other. We pray for leaders in our church, schools, community, country, and world, that they would make wise choices. Amen.
0: Those who know the wideness of God's mercy, go now to love God and to love neighbor, to serve God and to serve neighbor. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his light upon you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.